Good afternoon, Patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk economy and inflation, and I'll talk about the disgusting strong-arming the Albany, Georgia school district is doing to a man who is just trying to improve his community. Next, on Living with Liberty. Inflation is here, and by the looks of things, it'll be sticking around for a while. I'm not talking the normal inflation of the 2% the Fed says they like to keep, uh, you know, keep the economy at. I'm talking about, you know, inflation that's much greater than that. Now, we look at a few uh, key items uh, within our economy. Construction lumber is up 375%. Gas is up 25% since the beginning of the year. Corn is up 30%. And household staples like meat, chicken, fish, and eggs are up 5.4% on average. The April inflation numbers were well above what economists were estimating, coming in at 4.2% after experts were expecting something in the mid-3% range. Yet, with all this upward pressure on prices... The Biden administration wants to fire up the money printing presses again to mint another $6 trillion of wish list items and programs. The country's tax receipts for 2020 were $3.4 trillion. And with an assumed 4% increase in tax revenue, as I looked, that seemed to be about the average year to year. The U.S. government will end up with around $3.6 trillion in revenue for 2021. Now, with that $6 trillion wish list spending that the Biden clown show wants to enact, that leaves us a deficit of $2.4 trillion, or in other words, a potential addition of 10% to our national debt. Or... Maybe the government will just print more money as opposed to selling bonds in order to avoid the deficit. Inflation isn't only limited to price increases. It's also somewhat hidden as well by companies that are loath to raise prices right away. Companies engage in what is called shrinkflation, where instead of raising their uh, prices on their products, they shrink the amount of product in that packaging. Now, I'll link a Zero Hedge article on how Costco shrunk the size of their paper towel rolls by 20 sheets, yet held the same price. And this is effectively inflating the price by 14%. You're getting 20 less sheets for the same price. You're, you're not paying as much, you're paying more per sheet in that regard, which in effect is in is a price increase. Now, what doesn't get accounted for is the fact that companies end up having to raise prices anyway after a while. The smaller pack size means the consumer is repurchasing uh, sooner than they might have otherwise, sending that demand signal back through the supply chain to the production plant, telling that plant to make more. Now, this in turn utilizes more capacity because they have to make more 
in this case, paper towel rolls, eventually maxing out the plant's capacity, leading again to eventual price increases because of shortage. You end up with shortages because the plant now can't make as many paper towel rolls, even at the reduced rate, because people are buying more. It's basic economics. Scarcity drives up prices. So now that original 14% increase from taking 20 sheets out of that paper towel roll becomes a 17 or 18% increase when you're all said and done because they're going to raise the uh, the price of that paper towel roll anyway because now their their plants are at capacity and, and then there's shortages in the marketplace again. You end up getting even less for your money. So if you are running out of something seemingly sooner than you seem to remember, chances are it's you probably are in fact running out sooner because of ever shrinking package sizes. So what's been causing our inflationary pressure? Part of it has been supply bottlenecks. It's been, I, I think I've mentioned it before, we've had uh, numerous ships parked off of particularly the LA Long Beach uh, ports because we don't have enough capacity to get all the ships through and the ever bigger ships have more containers and the ports just can't handle it. Uh, it it's been just the panic buying we saw during COVID and, and companies haven't caught up yet. What wasn't thought through during that uh, kind of last year, the, the initial shutdowns, what wasn't thought through and what people still aren't thinking through today when we talk about this was that even though companies shut their plants down, even though the models for these businesses or the models these businesses were using said, yeah, we're going to see a demand decline. Let's shut the plant down or whatever, uh, lay people off, whatever the case may be. Even though that happened, even though the plants were down, People still consumed products. They still went out and bought stuff. They changed their habits. People went to, uh, instead of sitting down in a restaurant, they started ordering takeout. The, you know, Now, was it a reduced rate? Probably, because there's a number of people out of work and, uh, and you, know, the, you use the money to, to buy necessities for your home and eating out isn't a necessity, but People still consumed restaurant food. Now, when this all happened last year, last March, let's call it, I remember sitting in a meeting in my former job with executives, a meeting with the executives. We were discussing what to do in terms of staffing our plant ahead of, uh, you know, COVID coming to our shores and, you know, possible looming COVID restrictions in, in, uh, that we were facing here in Wisconsin in early March of 2020. I advocated for letting the data dictate what we do. It was still unclear at that point if our governor would be issuing a lockdown, a lockdown and our sales were still uh, relatively solid at that point, even though COVID was starting to roll through the country. I said we should let the data dictate if and when we start cutting staff in the plant. Well, I lost that battle. We started cutting production staff and ended up shutting down our plant when our flip-flopping governor issued a lockdown order. He said he wasn't going to issue in the first place. Did we need to shut down our plant? That's debatable. We probably didn't, but I think at the time we viewed our, we were the non-essential 
um, business, so we shut our plant down. Now, even though we shut our plant down, we kept our warehouse open. And we continued to ship through ship product through our plant shutdown because, well, there was still demand for our product. People figured out alternative routes to getting things done and needed our product. So we kept shipping our product. We kept taking orders for our product. Now that shipping of our product, it depleted our inventories and with no production to replenish it, we dug ourselves a big hole. Well, we saw a soft end to our March last year when we, uh, when the lockdown order went into effect here in Wisconsin. But then in April, our demand took off. We took more orders than what we knew than we knew what to do with. Like I said, we kept shipping through this whole time, but we really took a bunch of orders once April rolled around, and then we finally, by the end of April, had our plant back up and running after having it shut down in some form or fashion for about a month. By then, though, the damage had been done to our inventory position, and we had spent the rest of my time in that role at that company trying to satisfy all our orders, trying to chase all that demand that was built up and wasn't really built up. It had come in over time just in massive amounts because the whole supply chain became empty because there was no plant producing to replenish it. And to my understanding, now that I've been uh, out of that role for a couple months now, and still have a number of uh, friends there I talk to, they're still trying to get ahead of that customer demand. Now, this story is not unique. It's happening all over. It's still happening today. Now, are there massive runs on on products now? No, not necessarily, but it's just the trying to catch up because plants were running at reduced capacity or not at all, but still shipping product because people were still consuming product. Now, this is why you're seeing the inconsistent stocking at the stores. It's all this chasing demand. There's not the capacities of these plants were set up with the assumption that they'd be continuously running. You shut a plant down and still consume the product on the other end, the, that plant's capacity is only set to restock based on uh, what, what a, what's forecast and what the normal turn rate is through products. So that's why you see the inconsistent stocking at the stores now to this day, a year later. The impact uh, of this to supply was not taken into account, the impact of these shutdowns. And I think the impact of those shutdowns are still not being taken into account when people think about empty shelves today. The impact to supply was not taken into account when the government said shut down uh, your plants and when the government said shut down your economies, nor was the impact to supply taken into account when the government got in touch with their inner wrapper at a strip club when they started making it rain stimmies. I'm sure many did the responsible thing and paid off some debt. I know I did. But I also took on some home improvement projects, as did many others, since COVID has changed the way people are working. It's changed the way people were interacting. People were staying more, uh, spending more time at home. So they started sprucing up their homes. They started working more from home, so they started building themselves little office spaces, things like that. And I think that's going to continue because a lot of companies now are going to hybrid models where 
you're not necessarily going to have an assigned workspace in the office anymore. You're going to have that flexibility to come in and maybe reserve a desk for a day or two a week and spend the rest of the time working remotely. This this in, is bared out in, in some numbers from Home Depot and Lowe's in terms of their sales increases over the past years or over the uh, past year. So Home Depot reported a 20% increase in sales year over year from 2019 to 2020. And Lowe's reported a whopping 24% increase over that same time period. Now, normally I would say be cautious about any comparisons utilizing 2020 data because it's not normal data. And I say be cautious with uh, 2021 also because 2021 is shaping up to be abnormal as well. Uh, But as I looked at uh, the home improvement sector here and the phenomenons we're seeing, and what I think we'll continue to see with that is, like I said, more people are working from home. They're staying at home. They're, uh, you know, building themselves uh, offices and workspaces. I'd say this is a pretty good indication of of um, uh, where that uh, home improvement um, sector is going to end up, and what they can expect for the next, at least the next maybe year or two in terms of what their overall sales will be. These home improvement stores weren't as affected by the lockdowns as some of the other sectors. At first, I think they were. Um, You know, they they face the same things as everybody else. But as as, uh, people got their their stimulus, as people realized we're going to be working from home more, they went out to the Home Depots and Lowe's and started buying up huge quantities of construction materials. Now, if you think about this, in, in Home Depot and Lowe's being established companies, them having sales increases of 20 plus percent is enormous. Uh, considering both companies, as I looked at this and, and their history, they're usually only in the four to six percent range annually for growth. And it's these spikes in growth, these just enormous uh increases in their sales are partially uh to ex- are partially uh what can explain the shortages we see in things like lumber like 2x4s building materials 2x4s are a key element in many building projects and both chains move a lot of construction lumber now there are two other components here as to why lumber is up 375% one is the housing market is still very hot. It, it seems seemingly continued on through COVID. Anything nice, even today, and in the right price range, is being snapped up as soon as it gets listed, which is in turn driving more people to build new homes. With more new home construction comes more uh, two by four need, more need for two by fours, which drives the price up. Because now you're taking almost, it's almost like a a double, right? You're taking uh, people remodeling their homes, needing two by fours. And now you've got a a bunch more new homes being built, um, maybe over and above what normally is, uh, consuming two by fours. Now, the other piece of this equation on the two by four front is that the sawmills cut way back and many shut down in the face of COVID. Now, they must have been using the same uh, 
models the government was to look at what the COVID deaths were going to be and how that exploded because the ones the sawmills used to forecast their demand were also garbage as they forecasted a precipitous decline in demand. And what happened? The exact opposite. They have more demand than they knew what to do with. So because of these factors, because these garbage models, because everybody rushed, not everybody, I hate absolutes, but because a, a vast number of companies uh, rushed into this, instead of letting the data dictate what they do, kind of the wait and see, everybody got in a panic because we had this new virus, this new thing that nobody knew anything about, and everything shut down. So because we had this, because the sawmills saw this, they used a garbage model too. Your two by four that normally cost, I don't know, I've seen them anywhere from three to four, maybe five bucks. It's now a $9 per two by four. Now this inflation issue has even caught the attention of journalists, journalists in quotes, (laughs) at CNN.com. Now, fair warning. It's the slanted coverage and propagandizing and propping up of the Biden clown show that you've come to know, expect, and roll your eyes at from CCPNN. But the fact that they are offering up a warning to the Biden clown show that inflation is going to be bad news for Democrats in 2022 speaks volumes. Now, I personally think 2022 was going to be bad for Democrats anyway. After the first four months, four plus months or so here, we've had of of them holding every branch of the federal government and the power trip it sent them on and everything they're trying to ram through. But now if you throw in massive inflation, it may be all but guaranteed that Democrats get tossed in bigger numbers than they might have otherwise. So let's get to shredding some of the CNN propaganda here. Now, the piece is called Inflation is Back. Biden should be worried by Matt Egan. Now, I don't know that Biden himself is worried about anything these days, anything more than his butterscotch pudding and wheel of fortune. But maybe those pulling the strings are worried. All right, so Matt Egan is apparently a CNN business analyst. At least that's what the uh, the little blurb says on the story. But you wouldn't know it by his writing. Apparently, Mr. Egan thinks that high prices are a sign that Biden's economic and health policies are working. Well, apparently, Maddie Boy here doesn't understand how things really work in the marketplace. The higher prices are being driven by shortages which are a result of the lockdowns and subsequent stimmies Washington made it rain on us deplorables. Higher prices because of shortages are a bad thing because that means the market is not in balance and that there's demand going unsatisfied, causing lost sales revenue for companies. Higher prices are also taking a bigger chunk of household spending. And that's especially true when it comes to staples, which leaves less money for discretionary things like going out to a restaurant or going on vacation, buying a new car, which will cause eventually a drag on the economy. 
those places that rely on discretionary spending potentially will go out of business because the money eventually dries up. The prices eventually get too high where people have to spend uh, more to live, more for their food, more for their clothing. That's why I say refinance your house now. <laughs> Buy a house now while rates are still low. Otherwise, it'll be more for your rent, more for your housing. They'll have less money for vacations and restaurants and things like that. Prices going up because of productivity gains and wage increases are actually not the worst type of inflation because you're actually, with wage increases, increases you're, you're somewhat matching, hopefully exceeding, but hopefully at least matching what, what the year-to-year uh, -year inflation is. Now, going up because of shortages um, is a different story because it's accelerated. It's, these shortages are causing the inflation to go up much faster than maybe it would otherwise. Prices going up because of shortages caused by short-sighted policies and no wage growth is a recipe for economic stagnation and recession down the road. But Matt Egan writes for CNN, so I guess we shouldn't be expecting big brain analysis to be presented here. Now, of course, no CNN piece would be complete without some reference to equality or inequality and the economic featherweight Matt Egan delivers. He states in his piece that the return of inflation also undermines Biden's efforts to ease inequality. Everyone has equality, you dope. It's just a matter of what that individual does with their opportunities. We all have the same chances in life. We all have the same opportunities. We are all equal. It's just a matter if you grab the, the reins and go with it or not. Well, Egan also goes on to say this. He says that because higher prices on essentials are more most painful for low-income families, the same ones hit hardest by the pandemic. Now, this is probably the smartest line in the whole piece. Who does inflation of household staples, or things like rent, hit the hardest? Those with the lowest income. Yet for all the rhetoric about being for the little guy, for wanting to bring equality and equity and whatever other buzzword beginning with EQ these Democrat clowns want to throw out there, their policies have the exact opposite effect of their rhetoric. Pump a bunch of money into the economy without a corresponding influx of goods and services to spend it on, and what happens? Shortages of items and prices shoot up. And now... And now you have the low income who all those with the low with the lowest incomes who already spend a healthy portion of their income on staples to live on rent now have to spend more on them further squeezing them economically further driving this inequality perceived inequality well the policies are are what creates it being the true gaslighters they are, the White House had this to say about inflation. We expect temporary imbalances between supply and demand, whether it is fewer rental cars available at first or fewer airline flights as airlines move back to their regular schedules. And this is what a uh, White House official told CNN Business on Tuesday. And they also said this. 
these are signs of recovery. So what exactly is their definition of temporary imbalances between supply and demand? I go to my local Walmart or Kroger-affiliated store. Around here, they're called Pick and Save. And the toilet paper and paper towel and Kleenex aisles are still far from fully stocked. My local Walmart still goes unstocked on items for weeks at a time. We've been at this for a year plus. And I may or may not get my preferred brand of toilet paper at the store. Why? A year plus of this is not a temporary imbalance in supply and demand. You start talking about a year, that you're starting to get into permanent range here. Now I know it's not permanent, but you're starting to it's not temporary anymore. Temporary to me is a few weeks maybe a month or two, depending how bad it is, right? But not a year plus. These shortages are a sign of recovery. What? Uh, how can a shortage of something be a sign of recovery? An extended shortage of something be a sign of recovery? No, these are not signs of recovery. These are signs of incompetence. These are signs of economic featherweights being in charge. An inflation rate of 4.2% is not a sign of recovery. The forecasted inflation is temporary. Not with all the money that has been pumped into the economy this far, and not with all the spending that Biden's Biden's handlers want. Refinance your debt now. Refinance your house. Refinance your cars. Pay off those high-interest credit cards. The Fed is going to have no choice but to raise rates in the future to combat all this money that is floating around in our economy. My last story of the day is a bit of a mixed bag. It'll make you happy and mad all at the same time. I have a red state piece here titled, Black Conservative Veteran Says School Board is Preventing Him from Helping Disadvantaged Youth by Jeff Charles. Now, I, the title, I tend to hate these types of titles. I think the title calling out the fact that this veteran is black is of little consequence to us conservatives. And chances are, if you are like me, you kind of skip over those descriptors at this point. I don't care. This is a story of a, of a man who's trying to help his community. I don't, I don't really care what, <laughs> what race he is, what color he is. It doesn't matter. This is a man who's who's taken action as community. Now, though I think because this is a red state article, hopefully some liberals see it, but I think this descriptive title is, is more for those liberals out there. The ones that, you know, they think they are the only ones who have the answers for what ails the black community. The, the title to me is a shot at those liberals who continue to think the black community community can't do anything for themselves. But I digress on that. That's probably a whole show in and of itself. Now, this story is of King Randall, who is a 21-year-old Marine veteran. Not a 21-year Marine veteran, a 21-year-old Marine veteran that is trying to buy a school slated for demolition in Albany, Georgia, to expand upon the work he has been doing to help improve the lives of underprivileged boys within his community. How many of you were looking to start a school at age 21? I know I sure wasn't. 
Um, I don't, at this point, I don't even know what I was thinking about at uh, age 21 anymore, but I wasn't starting a school, that's for sure. Um, You know, I have absolute respect and I applaud this young man for seeing a need in his community and stepping up to fill that need. Mr. Randall's story is even better than that as he started an organization called the X for Boys. That's what this school is called, the X for Boys. And it's dedicated to improving boys' lives through education. And he started this school two years earlier. So he started this thing when he was 19. This is a man who is stepping up to be uh, that father figure, that strong role model in, in young boys, young men's lives. Here is how King, Rand- or King Randall describes what he does. He says this, he says, well, I work with children. I've been working with them for two years now. I actually started taking temporary custody of children in my home. I work with children that have been molested, they have been sexually abused, that they have been starved at home, etc. These children don't have anywhere to sleep, and I take them into my home and I make things better. I make things happen. And we were in the process of opening a school for these children in the city of Albany, and that's Albany, Georgia. I personally love the motto of this organization. The motto of this organization is making men great again. This is a young man, King Randall, who understands the value of a strong male presence in a young boy's life and in in a young boy's development. Randall wants to buy a school that is slated for demolition from the Albany, Georgia school district. And this is where the story turns to the negative and turns to it's going to make you mad, I think. It it made me mad. I I thought the whole thing was ridiculous after I got done reading the story. And this is where you see that these people who are in charge of the schools, who are elected to the school boards, are supposedly in it for the kids, really aren't. Randall describes the roadblocks that the school district has been putting in his path this way. He says this, We're actually trying to purchase a school from them that's the school district, that was up for, de- uh, up for demolition. Mind you, I'll say again, the school was up for demolition and they gave us a contract back, excuse me, a purchase sale agreement. And that said, they want half a million dollars, well over half a million dollars for this school that was up for demolition. And I wasn't even really too upset about that until I got the contract stipulations. Randall goes on. I've never seen a purchase agreement where the seller tells the buyer what they can and can't do with the building. The school board also put a stipulation that Randall cannot use the school they are, or that he wants to purchase to open a private or charter school unless the county school system is providing the core educational services. In essence, making it so Randall cannot teach what he wants to teach, which I can only assume is non-critical race theory curriculum. And judging by the video, I went to his website and and watched uh, one of his videos, one of the videos for the school on the website, on the X, uh, X for Boys website. He wants to teach them that they are not victims. 
It seems that Randall wants to teach good, conservative, American-centric principles. The X for Boys school is a direct threat to the traditional school system in Albany, Georgia, and that's where the problems seem to be starting and stemming from. Randall is teaching these young boys to become young men that they are not victims, that they are valuable members of society, that they can go and do, that they have the ability and opportunity and equal equality of opportunity to go and do what they want to do with their lives. That's where this problem stems from. The school system seems to want to keep them in the victimhood mentality, Mr. Randall is teaching them they're not victims, that they have the ability to go and do with their life as they wish, that they have the ability to get into things like um, owning a business or being a mechanic or a plumber or something like that, that they can have a career. His school, Randall School, is teaching them real life skills, and this school board hates that. Why else would they put in a stipulation that the county had to provide the educational content? The county school board, whatever it is there in Albany, Georgia, that county, had to provide the educational content. Who ever heard of stipulations for a sale of a former public building here, any building really, but call it out, it's a former public building here, to what is now a private entity, Mr. Randall's uh, organization is looking to buy this school. Whoever heard of putting stipulations in place on a sale of any sort of property like this, that you had to bow to what we want as a school board, or we're not going to sell it to you. We're not going to sell this building to you. Why would they say the county has to provide the core education? Why would the school board say they want well over half a million dollars for a building that they were just going to demolish anyway? Obviously, the building isn't worth half a million dollars if you're going to demolish it. You would have sold it already if it was worth half a million dollars. You would hold on to it because you have a half million dollars you can uh, sell this building for. It's not worth that, obviously, if you if it's... Obviously, the demolition costs are well under half a million dollars if they're not going to, if their plans are to demolish it. Why is this? It's because King Randall is challenging the status quo here in Albany, Georgia. The school system there is failing these boys. He sees that, so he is providing them with a better alternative. He is providing them an outlet to learn skilled trades and to learn how to think. Learn how to think, not what to think which is a direct threat to the current modus operandi of the school board indoctrinators, both in, in, in Albany, Georgia, and all over. This type of thing is a threat to these school boards and these public education boards and these public education administrators. This is a school choice, essentially, which is a threat to the public school monopoly. Randall is, is seeking to start up what amounts to a private charter school. Now, whether the building was an old school and owned by the school district or not is inconsequential here. Once that transaction is complete, it becomes private property, and that school board, county board, whatever, has no say anymore in how it is to be used. 
they have no right to put any stipulations on uh, any conditions on a sale of this property. It becomes private property at this point. It, it becomes outside the jurisdiction of the school board. It no longer belongs to the Alba Albany, Georgia School District. Now let's play a little what if here. Let's put the shoe on the other foot for a second and think about this. What if King Randall was not a conservative? What if he wanted to open this school up as an indoctrination facility of victimhood and critical race theory? I'll bet this school board would have given him the building and they would have made the massive upgrade, upgrades needed to it at taxpayer expense. They may have even just built him a brand new building altogether. This whole thing reeks of hypocrisy. You and I know damn good and well that if this man, if Mr. Randall was not a conservative, if he was not teaching these kids how to uh, become respectable young men in their community, this school board would have just given him everything because it would have fit their narrative then. This man is doing great things in his community. He's helping young boys in his community become successful. He's teaching them how to be men. He's filling in, back, back to my blog post on fathers, right? He's filling in that space that young boys need for a, a, a strong male figure in their lives to teach them how to grow into men. King Randall's, his ex, uh, Exford Boys School has been successful. He has a track record here of success. Listen to these stats uh, from his first two years. In the first two years, uh, the Exford Boys School has been running. They have an 86% reading comprehension rate and a 0% recidivism rate. Every child Randall took in from jail has not gone back. Now, what public program, what social program, what school can say that? What school can point to these types of successes? None. That's why this school board hates the idea of Randall starting his school. His school makes the Albany district and Alban, Albany, Georgia school system look foolish. It makes them look like they don't know what they are doing. King Randall is meeting these kids where they are at. He's coming alongside and guiding them, teaching them that they are not victims, that they can break out, and that it's their choice on which direction they take their life. They are thriving. They are taking his, his teaching and the teaching of his school, and they are thriving. They're learning actual skills. They're learning how to be members of the community. Now, I wish I could say that the story of Mr. Randall and him purchasing this building gets better, um, but it doesn't, unfortunately. He decided to cancel the negotiations for the building. The reason? The school superintendent in Albany, Georgia, uh, allegedly stated he just doesn't want the competition from the X for Boys school. Now, the thing is, though, here, the Exford Boys School isn't actively recruiting boys from the public school system. King Randall's organization is focused on the children, the boys who have been in trouble, those who are in the judicial system, those who are in jail, who, who are in the juvenile detention system. 
and those who are out on the street. Now, could boys and parents of, and the parents of those boys in the Albany school system see that the ex boys for school, uh, X for boys school is a superior option to the public schools there and enroll uh, their, their kids, their boys in uh, Mr. Randall's uh, organization? Possibly. I, I would assume that um, King Randall wouldn't turn them down. And that is what worries these public educators. That's what's worrying this school board and worrying this, this superintendent. Instead of being threatened by a superior product, these administrators should take a long, hard look in the mirror and change what they're doing, change their schools and how they're operating so people don't look elsewhere for their children's education. Some of this comes down to money. You start losing students out of your school, that means less money for your school. That's where this is coming from. Well, instead of just trying to protect what's there, a mediocre at best product, fix it. Do something different. Instead of trying to crush something that is good for your community, good for the, the, the boys of Albany, Georgia, change what you are doing in the school system to emulate it and help the community more. What if the public school system there or anywhere emulated what King Randall is trying to do or is doing, not even trying, he's been successful, like I said, what he is doing with the X, school, uh, X for boys school? What if every school system did that? We would have a lot better uh, 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 I would say a lot better education for our kids. I look at this thing. I I, I look at it and I read this kind of stuff. I, I'd say that the Albany Georgia School Board and the superintendent like sound like total clown shows. They sound like real buffoons. Who doesn't want to help kids? And if you can emulate in the public school system what one man is doing with with this ex boys for uh, ex for boys school how, how much how many more kids can you reach that way no instead we're going we're going to be threatened we're going to try and crush this thing because we don't want the competition it, it's not about the kids it's obvious that's not about the kids at this point now as always i will link the article the red state article in the description box it, it's a good read i encourage you to read it and I will also link the website to the X for Boys uh, organization. I would encourage you to check out the website. And, and if you feel led, if you feel led to make a donation to Mr. Randall's organization, uh, all the details and everything and what they're about is on the website. Go ahead and read it. I, I, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, it's absolutely great what he's doing in that, that community. Um, and, teaching young boys to become men. That, that's what we need. I'm also going to put his, uh, his uh, website on, uh, on, uh, on mine. I'm going to put a link to mine. I'm, I think I'm going to start a new page uh, called uh, something like charities or something like that. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing the one uh, with the Memorial Day sale for um, a uh, soldier's child foundation. I'm going to put that on there and I'm going to add um, X for boys on there as well. So we get some of these, these great organizations, um, some, some more links to them so, so we can, we can help them out in any way we can. Friends, people like King Randall 
are the ones we need to be celebrating and raising up in our communities. And I'm personally tired of the media, the celebrities, the politicians, the, the, the athletes who are so misinformed it's not even funny. I'm sick of them pandering to and celebrating the criminal class. King Randall's, the King Randall's of the world are the ones we need to come alongside of and help out and help them push their cause. They are the ones we need to be celebrating. People like King Randall. King Randall cares more about the kids of his community uh, thousands of times more than that fraud of a school board and superintendent does. King Randall should be getting way more publicity for what he is doing to make his community better. And if he did, if these are the things that our, our derelict and, and buffoons in the media would focus on, if they would focus on things like this, instead of celebrating criminals and, and calling it justice when they were obviously in the wrong, if, the, if we gave more publicity to things like this, things like King Randall taking upon himself to make his community better, the world would have a much different view of things and our society would be a much better place. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. And don't forget to check out the limited edition Memorial Day collection. All proceeds from the Memorial Day collection will be donated to the A Soldier's Child Foundation. Also, I'd be so grateful if you subscribed to the show and left a positive review should your listening platform allow. It helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.